and welcome to this week's Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Show. I am your host, or co-host, or host, Mike Mills, and I am joined, as always, by uh, my friend and co-host and host, the great Brian Lass. Brian, what's going on this week, man? What a confusing introduction that was. <laughs> Or was it? Or was? Yeah. <laughs> no, this show. There's no host. There's no co-host. It's just you and I, both sitting in the captain's chair, and uh, not together, not not with each other, but two chairs next yeah. to each other, two captain chairs, kind of like the middle row of a minivan. We're both in our chairs, and uh, we're here to guide the listeners on another journey through a week of Mid South Wrestling television action. This one coming to them from December twelfth, nineteen eighty one. Yeah, a long time ago. Uh, I was uh, a mere six years old at that time. And, you know, I, after last week, I'm ready for another exciting week of Mid-South Wrestling as we kind of, I guess you could say, ratchet things up, so to say, as we uh, as we proceed through what was uh, my favorite territory as a kid, my only territory as a kid, but obviously one of my favorites. So, man, we got a lot going on this week, man. We got Ernie Ladd at the desk, I'll call it, starting things out with Boyd Pierce. Just a really, really good uh Good compact show coming at you. Nice 45 minutes, I guess, of wrestling is what I'd call it. Absolutely. And, you know, before we get going with it, I do want to ask you something because I don't believe I asked you last week on the show. When did you actually start watching Mid-South Wrestling, being that you are from the Mid-South Wrestling territory? Yeah, it it's about this time. I was I was about six years old, and I do remember late 80s. I want to say it's probably around the time that these episodes are are up on the network around that time. Maybe a little I have faint memories of before, but I guess my my memories of I guess consistent memories of yeah, I remember this happening is probably around this time. This is when things started to really pick up. I mean, you got to figure any time before that, before 6 years old, how much are you really going to you know, have good memories of, you'll have faint memories, so to say, but you're not going to specifically remember it. Uh, and yeah, so it was about this time, definitely going into 82. I really started to remember things because we'll get to this at some point, but one of my, I guess, memories that stick out the most is obviously Kamala coming in and then uh, DiBiase and what happens towards the end of 1982. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I do, and we won't play spoiler, even though it's kind of hard to play spoiler when something happened over 30 years ago. Uh, But we're going to do our best to not spoil what comes ahead in our weekly review of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Show. But let's get started with this episode, Mike. Of course, we're in the Irish McNeil Boys Club. As you stated, Boyd Pierce hosting the show alongside color commentator this week, the big cat, Ernie Ladd. I'd rather fight a man and make love to a woman. I'm not trying to be like uh, somebody who does uh, impersonations all the time, but <laughs> hey, man, whenever it's Ernie Ladd, I got to try it, man. I, I, I've got to try it. So, yeah, good stuff there, man, for those two. He looks really cool like in his like little leather jacket and just sitting there. He still had the fro. You know, once like he came back in 84, and remember when he returned to Mid-South in 84, like the fro was gone. It was kind of more compact. He shaved off the facial hair, and then he started looking really old. Yeah, he, he did. St- he still looks pretty cool here. Yeah, he's he's a cool-looking dude right here, man. And they get going, and they announce once again something we talked about last week, the dream match, where you could send in the dream match you want to see to your local television station. And on the television in January, the dream match that has the most votes will actually be contested on the air. Again, it's a rather ridiculous premise because people could just send in anything they want, and somehow the match that wins... Is not a match that really most fans would probably sit down and write. 
But we'll get into that in the weeks ahead. But this is the second week in a row that they've built up the dream match. And of course, this show starts, Mike, with an exciting match. And if people at home could hear me rolling my eyes, they would hear it right now. It's Brian (laughs) Blair versus The Monk. Yeah, I didn't have much from this other than they get in there and they go at it. And Brian Blair has The Monk in an abdominal stretch and that he turns into a slam of sorts. And Blair gets the win. Literally my only note from it because I, I just didn't really have anything else. I mean, that's what it was. I don't know. What did you have? Uh, the referee was Jerry Usher. <laughs> Let's point that out. Uh, no, but one interesting thing over here, Brian Blair wins with an abdominal stretch into a grapevine over into a slam. I don't know the best way to describe that, but that's what I just did. Um, Ernie Ladd and Boyd Pierce mention that on January 2nd, Afa and Sika, the Samoans, who are in the stable of Ernie Ladd, will no longer be suspended. So even though the match isn't that spectacular, there is a little bit of information that is important that's given out during it. Yeah, that's true. That's true because, well, we won't spoil anything, but yeah, they're coming back and uh, it's some good stuff that's going to happen when they come back. Can you name a match that the Monk had against the main eventer on a major show? Oh, you got me on that one. I'm not the historian that you are. Um, Yeah, nah. In April 1982, the famous night that Jerry Lawler went into the ring with Andy Kaufman in Memphis. He actually wrestled that night, defeating the Monk. No way. Well, yes way. (laughs) (laughs) No idea. Unreal. I like the idea that he's just the Monk. Not like, here's, you know, Morgan the Monk. Like, There's no name. There's no last name. It's just the Monk. Yeah, because you're right. It keeps, like, the cartoonishness out of it, so to say. I mean, it's already a, I don't want to call it a weird gimmick, but it, it still, it keeps that total cartoonish feel out of it just by calling him the monk. And, you know, he's rather bland looking, but he does look like an evil monk, I guess, is the best way to describe it. So, yeah. I just, I just get a kick out of wrestlers when they, you know, they're undercard and they have that name. Like, remember in UWF <laughs> in 86, there was the Libyan. This guy's from Libya, allegedly, and he's so into it that he just wants to be known as the Libyan. Yeah, (laughs) we couldn't come up with anything more creative. It's just the Libyan. Well, what came up after this match? Well, after this match, we roll into another one, and we got uh, Tom Renesto, which I got to ask, Brian, versus King Cobra. But, um, you know, I I didn't think this, obviously, as a six-year-old, but as I'm watching it back now, I mean, this guy, uh, Tom Renesto, who I I know you know more about him than I do, but... He 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 looks like a uh, certain porn star to me. Like <laughs> that's in my notes. <laughs> it looks like Ron Jeremy. I'm just gonna go out and say he it. doesn't just look like Ron Jeremy. He looks like Ron Jeremy in the '80s. Like so, well, it's a yeah, it's a perfect match. It's a perfect yes, match. Yes. Tom Ernesto Jr. Of course is the son of Tom Ernesto, who was famously in the Assassins with Jody Hamilton, also a renowned Booker. He was the Booker for Ray Gunkel and Buddy Fuller in Georgia wrestling before it was Georgia championship wrestling. And then after Ray Gunkel died, Tom Ernesto was the booker for Ann Gunkel when they took almost every single piece of talent that Georgia had, except for Bob Armstrong. And I forget who the other person was. And they started running all South wrestling against the NWA promotion. He was the booker there for a long time. So Tom Ernesto, he later on would book in California. Uh, After even this episode of mid South, he had a run, surprisingly in memphis in 1985 so this is his son this is tom renesto jr and despite the fact that he looks like ron jeremy and that he's going up against king cobra 
he actually looks all right in there. He looks like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he he didn't look bad. It's uh, when I obviously look bad. I'm talking about his uh, wrestling ability. The the match was fine. I, the one of the things that I had though, again, he he did a good job in there. Uh, first off, King Cobra wins a wins a relatively quick match with a simple headbutt. But the other thing was Ernie Ladd's commentary as and I and I think we might have a timestamp on it to play it. But Ernie Ladd's commentary talking about the junkyard dog during the match. I I I thought that was kind of key. Uh, I don't know. What, what did you think? Do you have anything there? Well, let's hear a little bit of that audio right now, and then we'll talk a little bit more about this match and those comments on the other side. Let's hear this right now. That Ed Waskowski is a big one. tag team action also features the formidable duo of the Junkyard Dog and Mike George. will be a tremendous team, as they approved in days gone by. Tell you something. It's true, I can't stand with Junkyard Dog, but he's tough. I have to give credit where it's due. He's tough. But I'm tougher. The Samoans are tougher. Bob Brooks tougher. Now let me say something, you know. Sometimes I'm not quite pleased with Mid-South because they suspended me one time and cost me a lot of money. They suspended Alpha and Seeker, but they will be right back. January the second, Alpha and Seeker will take Mid-South with my guidance take Mid-South once again and have it under control like we had it once before. Well, and then you can hear a little bit of something I did want to mention during the match that ended up being pretty funny is there was a little bit of call and response where King Cobra had Renesto down, had, had him in an arm bar, and the referee said, you know, do you give up? Because there's lots of people who give up to, from arm bars in 1982. And Renesto says, no! And the crowd would begin yelling, <laughs> yes! And yeah. they show it one time on the wide shot from the side. And you see this little old lady sitting in the front row. And she turns to where the kids are all yelling yes. And she just looks so happy that like something like this is happening on this show. But that Ernie Lag commentary is great because, again, it goes into something we brought up last week. He's a heel. He's a strong heel. But right. he's fair on the commentary. He's not just saying, Junk Your Dog's a loser, because it doesn't make him look good if he beats a loser. It makes him look good if he says, the Junk Your Dog is tough, but I'm tougher. And it also irritates the fans, because especially in this era, what do heels do? Heels cheat. Heels lie. So when all of a sudden he's actually being honest and saying something like that, but then just putting himself over, it drives them just that much crazier. Yeah, it do, it does everything you said and one more thing. It it's it puts the promotion over too. That's like the the one thing that I think people get lost with that. Yeah, he's being a heel and he's he's being complimentary towards the dog, but he's also, you know, saying, "Yeah, but I'm tougher." But in a nutshell too, overall, it puts the promotion over cuz he, if he's giving credit to the top babyface in the promotion, well, that makes the promotion look good in general. So I, it's it's so good on so many levels. And then just the delivery from Ernie Ladd and his, the way he speaks really puts it over. So I, I, I like Ernie Ladd on commentary. I mean, it's like you said, he's he just doing a good job and he's, he's doing what he's being paid to do right there. Well, he wouldn't always do a good job. He was pretty horrendous as a commentator just a few years later in the World Wrestling <laughs> Federation. I believe he was one of the commentators on the big event. In 1986, which was, of course, was Hulk Hogan versus Paul Orndorff in Toronto, a uh, a huge, huge show. But once again, as you stated, King Cobra wins this match with a headbutt. Now, this is pretty interesting because here you have Ernie Ladd, top heel on commentary. But the first two matches this week on Mid-South Wrestling, the Monk versus Brian Blair and Tom Ernesto Jr. versus King Cobra. It's so different than we said this last time from where the show ends up, especially in 1984. 
there is so much that's different here in these shows because I can't think of too many matches on TV in 84 that just felt like undercard matches like these previous two matches did. Yeah, it 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 morphs, it changes. I mean, Watts definitely shuffles some things around. I mean, you you know the history of 1984 too, the way things were changing by then. But I mean, even before then, they changed you know things up. I remember when Cornette came in, and it, it definitely morphs into a, a different product by the time you get into '84. But the the wrestling landscape was changing too. But still, give Mid South credit on on one thing, and one thing especially, they gave you. They give you title matches, and they give you plenty of them on their regular TV. That they do, but they don't do them the next match, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, I guess it's sometimes it's like a sometimes thing, but it's weird. But for the most part, I should say. Let me say that because you don't want to say always. But for the most part, they give away title matches. Our next match here, we have Ed Wiskowski, the Polish Prince, versus Jimmy Garvin. As we said last time, jacked like. 1986, Rick Steiner in the shoulders. Yeah. There's not much to say about this match. Again, this is the third match that the fans aren't terribly excited about on this show. And I thought that the silence from the audience was pretty notable during this match. Very silent, very quiet. I actually had someone, one of the listeners, I believe that listens to uh, your show and, and mine, Email me once about, and I, I want to say it may have been this show. He was like, man, I just tuned into Mid-South for the first time. And I got to say, it's not doing it for me. I go, you know what? Just stick with it there. You know, I'm not going to sit there and tell you everything's a five-star match. So stick with it. And this may have been the episode and this could have quite well been the match or the fact that you had three of them kind of, that eh, were a little dull to start things off. But yeah, you're right. Not necessarily uh, the, the greatest set in the world on fire. However, I did enjoy Lad's commentary again at the very beginning of the match when uh, Jimmy Garvin and uh, Ed Waskowski are about to start wrestling. Just Ernie Ladd just kind of giving you a, I don't want to say behind the scenes, but letting you know about the size of the guys. Because like you just said, Jimmy Garvin is not a small man right here. Uh, I mean, he's pretty jacked for Jimmy Garvin that we know. And Ed Waskowski is is a big, broad-shouldered guy. And I don't know if you've got that uh, ready, but yeah, he he had, you know, Lad made a, a little bitty comment about their size and weight that I just, I was like, all right, that's nice. Nice little touch to the commentary there. Look at the power of that big Ed Wiskowski, how he pushed Jim Garvin off. Jim Garvin go 230 or 235, and look how small he look against 285 pounds. You know, it's just the logic that you get from the commentary. And, you know, it's easy for us because we know that Bill Watts was the one who was in charge of this entire operation, and he was going to make sure you said what he wanted you to say on the commentary. But, you know, Ernie was his longtime booker on and off, major star for Bill Watts. He knew how to present this the way Bill Watts wanted to present it. And there it is. I mean, it's not really putting down someone in the ring like, oh, look at this guy. He doesn't have a chance. He's a handbagger. It's always the exact opposite. It always goes the opposite way with Mid-South. It's always, well, you know, this guy, he may be smaller, but he's pretty tough or he's big on his own or he played football or they always build people up, not push them down. Yeah, he I mean, if you and it's a it's a short line, but he kind of puts Jim Garvin over the right there. You know, he's like. He's a big man. Don't don't get me wrong. Ed Wiskowski's a big man too, but Jim Garvin, you know, he's no he he's no slouch. I don't know. It's just just one of those things that I, I liked about Mid South in the commentary. Um, did you see near the end of the match that forearm that Garvin hits Wiskowski with? 
Did you catch that? Or yeah, do you have that in your notes? Yeah, I caught that. What, what did you think of it? Wow. I mean, whew, <laughs> man, he – I mean, that's, that's like Mid-South in a nutshell. Again, it's not a five-star match, but this is Watts' territory, and you're going to hear me say this often. They're going to lay it in. They're not playing. They're not playing games. They're not there to tap on each other. They're there to pound on each other. And they're going to do so. And I thought that was a, I thought that was a prime example of it. And again, that's just, that's Bill Watts. I remember a few years later in 84, when the WWF starts going into other territories and by Vince McMahon's own admission, Mid-South was one territory he had no success in because Watts came right at him. And one of the things Watts would do is put together these little video packages yeah. that aired on TV <laughs> for like two years. They had, a, they had two different packages. And it was just like, we're not like those guys up in Titan Sports with wooden chairs that break as soon as you touch them. Let's go to this clip now. And it was just like yes. Terry Taylor taking the DDT on the chair or getting yeah. hit in the head with the football helmet or those chair shots the Fantastics took and just yes. different things. And, of course, the other thing he would do is he would take old matches like the Iron Sheik versus Butch Reed. And he would air it like it was in real time. So you're seeing Butch Reed destroy the Iron Sheik while he's in the WWF. But it actually took place a few years earlier. Watts went after Vince as far as uh, he he was very vocal on his show. I can remember lots of times in 85 where he just blatantly was like, we're no clown show. We don't put celebrities in the ring. We don't do that crap. You got to be a tough pro wrestler to work in my in my territory. And I mean, to draw it back to what we're talking about here. This is you watch that forearm I'm talking about from Garvin to Wiskowski. That's exactly what I, I, I mean when I say that. I mean, it's just it, they made sure it was impactful. And, you know, Watts wasn't lying when he said here, you're not going to see some clown show. You're not going to see, you know, these guys just getting in there and they're not going to make a mockery of the sport. I think he would say from time to time they're going to get in there and wrestle and they're going to fight each other. And you're right. He showed that clip of when the Midnight Express attacked Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers, he showed that over and over again. And man, I will never forget the thud that came off of that chair shot. And I can't remember if it was Dennis Condry or Eaton who clocked Tommy Rogers, but oh my God, it was just like, it's probably one of the worst chair shots you'll ever see. Well, it was definitely, just, it was definitely one of the first ones where you saw the dent in the chair. It's just, he just cleaned his clock. I mean, you see it and you're like, oh, I mean, it just takes you aback. Uh, just, a, and it, you know, I mean, that was Watts, though. That's what he did. So, you know, they, they make it real. Don't, don't go out there playing around. Don't play games. That's so. right. And we'll be talking more about that angle when we get to 1984. So tune back in in a couple hundred episodes and we'll let you know there more you about what happened there. But from here, Mike. They do a recap of last week's big match that we've talked about. JYD versus Terry Orndorff. Terry Orndorff, of course, wearing the mask. And during the match, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Paul Orndorff gives Terry something to put in the mask. Terry knocks out Mike George by headbutting him. He headbutts the Junkyard Dog, actually grabs him and headbutts him and does his timber fall. Terry switches places with Bob Orton. Bob Orton comes in. All this chaos is going on. So they just do a big recap of the whole mm -hmm. thing right here. And then, and then Ernie goes on and he's got some commentary about this. I kind of want to hear that and let, let everybody listen to that. And then I've got some comments uh, once we come out of that one. 
And there again, you saw the junkyard dog against more than one opponent has happened so many, many times. What about it, Ernie Ladd? You liked it, didn't you? <laughs> junkyard dog only got what he had coming, you know. There are a lot of people around. I got suspended because there were other people that disliked the junkyard dog. Hey, man, a lot of people disliked the dog. He only got what he had coming. And, you know, let me tell you one thing before you go to the next match. I don't care what they said just a few weeks ago. They had 12 men on the field the Detroit Lions did against the Dallas Cowboy, and Tom Landry protested and protested, but Pete Rozelle came on TV and said there was no way they could change the rules, and there was no way Junkyard Dog could get his hand that goes in the record book as a defeat for the dog, and I enjoyed it. It's just that simple. You don't care how the dog gets defeated. You like it, don't you? I love it. Well, everybody love it. to their own view. We're going to see the Junkyard Dog and Mike George in action. Let's go to the ring for the introduction. I love it. Well, there you go. And by the way, what an image of Boyd in his crazy suit sitting next to Ernie wearing collared shirt with a leather jacket. It looks like a pimp with his muscle. <laughs> yeah, Boyd, Boyd uh, we're going to say that often too. Boyd in his suits was something else. Uh, but I got something there. So I did a little bit of research what Ernie was talking about here. And Ernie says that JYD got what he had coming to him and then Ernie Ladd goes on to say he doesn't care how JYD lost, but that he lost, and that's what he liked. And then, so for the record, in November 15th of 1981 that year, the Lions kicked a 47-yard field goal to beat Dallas in Detroit. And the tape did show that there were 12 men on the field uh, for the Lions, but Pete Rozelle, the then commissioner of the National Football League, said it didn't matter, and the result would hold true. And I point that out because I thought that was a great job by Ernie Ladd tying in the result to basically the same thing happening to JYD where it doesn't matter. Yeah, you what you saw is what you saw. But the result is JYD still lost. And I just like that. I just, again, Ernie Ladd doing his thing. I mean, so what if it was fed to him? I thought that comes across good. And I looked it up. I was like, I got to look this up. I'm a pretty big NFL fan. I didn't remember this. But sure enough, he was spot on with what had just happened. And he tied it into what we saw with the dog right there. Last week, we said that we would keep track of all of the Junkyard Dogs' timber falls. I think we should also keep track of every random football reference that you will hear on Mid-South Wrestling, because there's no doubt in my mind that Bill Watts was sitting by the monitor in the back, loving the fact that Ernie Ladd was talking about Tom Landry. Uh, probably, and I mean, we all know Watts, uh, he does a lot when it comes to football just in this territory, and you know, you'll know, you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, there's, there's a lot of football-related... Uh, I don't even want to call it matches or things that will occur. Uh, we'll, we'll see it. We'll see it play out. Well, what's next? What's the next match we have in store for us? We have the Junkyard Dog and Mike George versus Jerry Novak and Aaron Holt. And this thing was really quick with the dog landing his thump finisher on Holt. I mean, as a kid, I loved that finisher. So, um, you know, JYD got a, he had a loss last week albeit by DQ, but he gets a win under his belt this week after what happened last week. Very quick match, though. I mean, I don't even know if this thing went a minute and a half, Brian. Very, very quick. One thing notable during the match is it must have been late in the tapings because there are noticeable holes in the bleachers. When I say holes, yes. I mean giant areas where there's no fans sitting there, even though there are fans on the left side. So they could have moved them to be in front of the camera, but there are just giant gaps in the stands where there are not fans. And that is not something you will see in a couple of years. So this is, yeah, it's something that you definitely felt noticeably different than anything else in mid South. I will say this too, since you're pointing it out right now to me, 
Watts fixed that later on, maybe even in a few months, if I'm remembering correctly, because what would happen is they would do from my from what I remember of this, they would do a couple of tapings at one time. So you would have almost like, I guess, Jim did with Smoky Mountain. I think they might have done that sometimes with uh, with Mid-South. And so what would happen is you would have, I guess, some of the main eventers and some of the, the names would get their stuff over with and be done. And then you'd have a, a bunch of like just not real, real good matches. So what the what like the audience would do, and you'll see a lot of these same people in some of these tapings, they would kind of get used to the pattern of, all right, when dog comes out after this time, things are probably going to slow down or DiBiase's already come out. We won't really have anything much else there to happen. You'll start to see in a couple of episodes as we get wind things down on them. The last couple of matches, people are literally running out the stands because they're like, okay, nothing's going to happen here. And what I noticed was, and I think it's in either early or mid 82, I'll notice that all of a sudden out of nowhere, you'll start seeing important things happening at the very end before things are concluding, not just for, for actually the entire taping, but each individual taping that they would do. And I noticed that they did that obviously to stop what you're talking about right there, where you see these big, big pockets of fans, you know, that are just gone. And you're right. I mean, by the time you get to 84, 85, it there's, you don't even, you're not going to have pockets at all. You actually have bleachers now on the left side of the, the stands where right now all they have is chairs. One of the noticeable differences, I think, between this period of time, again, this is December 12th, 1981, and really how things start changing even in, I was going to say early 82, but definitely by mid 82, is the overall pacing of the show. Because again, we had several undercard matches or matches that really didn't have great importance on the show. And the only thing really threading everything together is the commentary. But Later on, it would feel like there was more of a sense of urgency on the show, where you had a lot more angles happening, a lot more. The the, the program got more fast paced before the wrestling got more fast paced. Yeah, you're right. And I always will point to this, too. Just remember, this is 81 still right here. So we're in the early 80s at this point. And for for its time, even though the pacing of this show is kind of slow, it still was. I mean, it still was good by you know, wrestling standards for its time. So uh, we, we should we should judge it by its time. Obviously, you're not going to see this nowadays. It would be probably way too slow the way it started. But, you know, we're in a different different era and a different time of wrestling back then. Um, I don't know. I didn't have anything else from that one, Brian. Did you have anything else before we move to the next match? Well, just Mike George is an interesting character here because here's a guy who had previously been the North American champion in 79 and again in 1980. And it's weird because he's in a good position here. Look, he's tagging with the dog. That's as good a position as you could have. But I just never, especially at this time, and and he would later return in like 86, I think. It's just weird. It's almost like he's the wrestling from the 70s and we're now in the 80s. Like there's something that just doesn't seem, that doesn't fit about Mike George in Mid-South here. And I know he would wrestle for like another 10 years or so, but, you know, just him being put with the JYD is just so interesting because here's a guy who had been a main eventer in Mid-South and really he's kind of starting to work his way down from that point. Yeah, no, you make a good point because when I first started rewatching these, one of the first things that came to my mind, and I, you know, I'll admit this as someone who's loved wrestling basically my whole life, I'm watching it going, dang, I forgot about Mike George. Now, it's been a long time, but 
I I did, and that so that kind of it goes to the point you're making. It just it's weird, you know. You don't. I think about JYD and his you know tag title runs or his North American title runs, and the first I, the first thing I don't think of is oh I remember when Mike George was his tag team partner. I just don't. I it's not something that comes to mind to the point you're making. Exactly, and from this match, from the JYD and Mike George defeating Jerry Novak and Aaron Holt. We go to the Iron Sheik versus Buddy Ryan. Not the uh, former Philadelphia Eagles uh, the <laughs> head coach, Buddy Ryan. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what I liked about this match? Sheik had this man beat and could have pinned him any time, but he just doesn't do so. He wants to punish him and uh, show you what a real heel would do in the old school wrestling days. What did you think? He is like a monster Iron Sheik in Mid-South. And what I mean yeah. is... He's throwing people around with the suplex, like Brock Lesnar. Yes. I mean, he's not Brock Lesnar. I mean, don't um, don't take that the wrong way, but he's hooking guys in the belly to belly and just kind of lifting them up and just yep. like without any effort slamming them. And it's kind of like what you expect the Iron Sheik to be after you hear about his background as an amateur wrestler, but it's a style of the Iron Sheik that you don't really see in a few years. Yeah, he does that in this match. He hits a couple of different suplexes, but he lands that nice overhead belly-to-belly that, I mean, he just shows his raw power that he has on that one. Just, uh, you know, again, and at the same time, he's got the guy beat numerous times, and he's like, nah, we're not going to. We're not going to do this. But, uh, Brian, they, they got back to the points on the boots. Did you catch that? I did catch that, and I believe we have a little bit of audio to play of that. Ernie, last week, Bob Roop told me here, my guest commentator, that those toes that stick up in front of the boots are used to kick camels in Iran, and that was a very interesting viewpoint. We didn't know what it was used for, and Bob brought it up. We appreciate that knowledge. Right now, the Iron Sheik using the bottom of the shoe. He must have a camel on the mat. What a suplex. And there it is. He kills him with a suplex and then doesn't pin him. But even Lad, yeah. even Lad's like, what a suplex. And you know, he means it. You can tell yes. he's really like, wow, because Lad never hit a suplex like that in his life. No, but <laughs> the first time I, I reheard it, Boyd's like, well, we found out about the use those points on the boots there for the for the camels. Uh, but uh, and Lad goes, he must have a camel on the mat. <laughs> <laughs> Like what? Oh boy, that's good old Mid South. Yeah, um, and then Sheik eventually gets the win. I, I, I was uh, I entertained by this. You know, again, it's Buddy Ryan. You knew he wasn't going to win, but, uh, but then they get into Brian. Uh, they're talking about the, uh, the end of the match, and Boyd starts congratulating Ernie on going into the Chargers Hall of Fame, and. You know, you and I kind of had like a little bit of an offline discussion about this. Not not too detailed, but I thought this was an interesting soundbite as well from them here. It is, and I will mark this down officially as the second football comment of Mid-South Wrestling since we started covering it here. But let's go to this comment right now. Ernie Ladd being inducted into the San Diego Charger Hall of Fame. And like we tell it, ladies and gentlemen, on Mid-South Wrestling, we congratulate you, Ernie. We appreciate what you've done in professional sports. We look forward to you as our guest commentator and continuing to be a great wrestler, even though we don't agree with your tactics. This is USA Free Enterprise and gives you an opportunity whichever way you think is the best. <laughs> we'll be back with more action after this word from Mid-South. Now, Mike, you know plenty about Mid-South wrestling. 
there's no way in hell that Boyd Pierce is talking about free enterprise without Bill Watts telling him to do that. That's a <laughs> that's a Bill Watts comment if there ever was one. I told you that <laughs> as soon as I heard it again, I was like, that just reminds me of and I and I'm not here to talk about what happened with Bill when in WCW and whatnot and how he ended up, you know, his departure. But I remember reading the torch when he made the comment about free enterprise and and whatnot while he was in WCW and and the minute I heard you know reheard I should say Boyd mentioned free enterprise uh, I'm like okay those words are just way too familiar uh, the way it rolled off his tongue the way it tied into Ernie going into the Chargers Hall of Fame and while they don't agree with Ernie's tactics in wrestling it's free enterprise in the US so we do congratulate him that had to be a direct line fed from Bill Watts right to Boyd and that's just I was just like oh here we go so yes uh, I I I I heard Bill Watts there, although it was Boyd Pierce saying it. You know, there's something about this. Again, this is 81. So in Georgia, Roddy Piper's already doing commentary. But other than that, there really aren't a lot of heel commentators in wrestling up to this point in history. So here's Ernie Ladd, and Ernie Ladd is clearly a heel. But there's a justification. There's a um, He's humanized through the commentary, where even if you don't agree with him, Boyd Pierce isn't fighting with him. Boyd Pierce isn't talking down to him. Boyd Pierce is acknowledging that the heel has a different point of view than the babyface, but again, somehow because of free enterprise, <laughs> it's not that Ernie Lack can start his own business, it's just that he could do his own commentary and say whatever he wants in yeah. Bill Watts' business. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head on that one. It's just, it's just kind of, you know, it's comical when you re-listen to this stuff. You're like, what? Oh, boy. Well, I love Boyd Pierce. The next match here... <laughs> There's not too much to say about it. Uh, I do have a soundbite I'm going to play. Of course. It's Rick Ferreira and Diamond Lil, the female midget grappler, versus Tony Charles and Barbie Doll. Uh, This is, I think, maybe one of the first Diamond Lil matches I've ever seen. I always knew her as just being in the fabulous Moolah troupe. You know, even like in the late 90s when Moolah would travel around, she would sometimes have Diamond Lil with her. It was like this weird oddball group it was her and may young and diamond lil you know going to the lpwa show in vegas or something uh it was just such a weird little crew but i had not seen too much of diamond lil in the ring so this is one of the first times and we mentioned last week at the end of the show when we went through a couple of the results from mid-south shows that happened during the week of last week's show that diamond lil and barbie doll were in the territory they were going around and working each town with these handicapped tag matches, not always with the same partners, but, you know, it's just a, an added attraction to the show. But before we talk about that and any notes you have about it, I love Reeser Bowden. I'll say this time and time again, because nothing affects him. And he just says whatever he wants is such a casual, easygoing <laughs> manner. That is, he's like Lance Russell minus all of the ability to relate to other human beings it's just it's just there and he just says stuff here's him introducing this match this is very very quick and now it's mixed tag team action featuring the little girls and the big men just that (laughs) 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 it's such a unique introduction the little girls and the big men and now it's mixed tag action featuring the little girls and the big men. 
Any thoughts or notes about this match? Of course, Alfred Neely is the referee, but what do you have, uh, Mike? Ah, just some... Barbie, I don't really have much other than Rick Ferrara ends up doing a lot of refereeing in the coming years in Mid South, and and there's some comedy here, and the cl- the crowd is you know into it. I mean, you'd expect the comedy, obviously, of sorts with this, you know, with the little girls and the big men. But uh, I don't really have much. It it was what you expected comedy on the show. I you know Barbie doll and Tony Charles win, but. I don't really have much else besides that. And, and by the way, they're in the ring. Both teams are in the ring. So it's not yeah. like you have no idea what's coming next that he has to say, it's now time for the little girls and the big men. Because all you have to do is open your eyes and look in the ring and realize, oh, there's a huge size disparity between both sides. And oh, they're also women. But, you know, he just right. has to state the obvious for anyone needing to know. That good old Reese Bowden. <laughs> Uh, uh, you're gonna make me go back and re-listen to uh i know there's a clip on the uh corny youtube channel with the where, where corny talks about reeser i think i think y'all talked about it a few months back i need to go back and re-listen to that uh i enjoyed uh corny's take on reeser and i think he's talked about boyd as well but man reeser i've had people brian that have, that have went to those tapings because i never went to them they were in shreveport that was i mean you know for a kid uh, my age at that time, that's five hours from New Orleans as far as the drive goes. I don't even think they had a major interstate at that time going up to North Louisiana. I don't think I-49 was built yet. But I know people that have been in that building, and they would tell me, like, um, if you were, like, making noises before they went to the announcing or, or you know, if you were being too loud, Reeser would give you, like, this death stare. He'd, like, look at you in the audience and not really say or do anything. He would just look at you and stare, and you knew you better shut up because Reeser had zero personality. Reeser had the personality of a sheetrock wall sometimes. Did you ever see the promo with Reeser? And I want to say it was the Super Destroyer, where the Super Destroyer is like screaming and yelling, and yeah. he knocks yeah. Re- Reeser gets knocked out of his chair. The chair leg breaks, and Reeser goes flying out of the, out of the just, shot. I just saw that recently, like a week or two ago. I re-saw Reeser, Reeser's like, oh, boom, and he takes a bump. Ah, Reeser Bowden, boy. Reeser, he was the booth announcer at KTBS which was where they originally filmed the studio show and all the promos. And then eventually just the promos, they moved the studio show into the Irish McNeil's boys club, which is where we are this week and where we'll be up until the end of 1985 when they go to the arenas for the UWF. But Reeser was a booth announcer and he was just the guy who held the mic during the promos and did the ring introductions. And he had nothing else to do with seemingly anything else with the wrestling company. And then eventually he just retired. Yep, he just uh, faded away, probably towards the end of 85, if I'm remembering right. I might be a little off with that. but Oh, no, no, it was earlier than that. It was earlier was than it? that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know, I know, I knew he was completely gone by the time they started doing Oklahoma stuff. Uh, well, I say Oklahoma, before they started the arenas in, in the beginning of 86, after they moved out of Irish McNeil. I just wasn't sure on the time frame as far as uh, when they were at Irish, Irish McNeil. I remember... Ross being there, and I remember, like, I guess Boyd Pierce doing some stuff, too, but I, I couldn't remember when Reeser left. But I kind of miss Reeser when he was gone, though, too. Yeah, there was something about him that yeah. fit the program perfectly. But once again, that was uh, the, ma- the, the match. The winner of the match was the team of Barbie Doll and Tony Charles. Yes. Diamond Lil and Rick Ferreira. And uh, now it's time for the main event, Mike. 
Yeah, this was a heck of a this was a heck of a match, a heck of a main event. I mean, we got Teddy Biasi, North American champion versus Paul Orndorff. You had mentioned it at the top of the show, non-title match. I don't remember there being a lot of non-title matches when I was a kid, but maybe it's just, you know, you misremember things, you don't remember them in the same context. But as I watch this, there are occasional non-title matches and this was one of them. Did you catch the top of the show, Ernie Ladd's comments, though, uh, as the match was kicking off. I think I may have those right here. Let's go to this audio right now. There's the bell, called for by Alfred Neely, former North American heavyweight champion, Paul Orndorff, against the North American heavyweight title holder presently, Ted DiBiase. What a battle. This should really be Ernie Ladd. Well, I must say this. The two finest made cars in America have to be the Cadillac and the Lincoln. I think the Cadillac and the Lincoln is in the ring right now. Paul Arndorf is the Cadillac for my money. Because I drive Cadillac, that's what I drive. Paul Arndorf is going to take it home to Ain't no love between these two men, I guarantee you that. you and I on the opposite side. You own a Cadillac Boy, and I own a Lincoln. So I, you own a Lincoln and I own a Cadillac. I do not care what you say. I'm going with Paul Arndorf. Well, Ernie Ladd goes with the Cadillac, and we find out that Boyd Pierce owns a Lincoln. <laughs> so much information here. But, you know, it, it is, it's good. It's, it's actually, you listen to the commentary, and they don't talk down to you. It's serious. They say what they believe or what they think. You know, Boyd Pierce is trying to call the action objectively. Ernie Ladd has an agenda, because he's Ernie Ladd. But it's not like anything today where they just make you feel like a fool for watching. They're having a normal adult conversation in the world of professional wrestling on commentary. Yeah, they're just sitting there like two, I don't want to call them two friends because the lad is a heel, but they're like two guys just, you know, shooting a bull and talking about, you know, what they're seeing in the ring. And they're not, like you said, talking down. They're not trying to be over the top either. It's just a conversation. And it, and it made sense in the flow of the match with, you know, you got DiBiase, who's a champ, and Paul Orndorff, who's definitely no slouch. And, they're comparing them to, you know, two cars that are were, you know, really good cars. <laughs> I mean, still are to some. So I I liked it. Like you said, not talking down, weaving it into the, the match. Good stuff there from them. This is a really good match back and forth. Paul Orndorff's just nonstop motion and movement at all times at this stage in his career. And DiBiase was just, he's, it was in the middle of a run from, I don't know, earlier in 81 up until... 87 where he was just on fire he was so good in the ring and one of the interesting subplots here or maybe even main plot is something that we talked about last week with bob roop on commentary is that bob roop's working with paul orndorff on a way to defeat to reverse to negate the effects of the figure four leg lock which of course is ted dibiase's finishing maneuver yeah, and and that obviously plays a big role in this. You made some good points too before we go there with the there's a lot of movement in this match. I mean, if if you think all they did in the 80s was kicked and punch, I would advise you if you've got the WWE network, go watch this main event. These guys aren't just kicking and punching. They're doing some ripping, they're doing some running. It's all making sense early in the match. Orndorff's a nasty heel. And you're right. They get to this. Uh, they get to this part with the figure four. I think that's where you're about to go. And it gets it gets very intense and very interesting based on some of the things we heard in the previous episode uh, from Bob Roop about the reversal or uh, countering the figure four. I can't remember which words he used. Well, let's go to this audio right now. What a power slam! He's going for the figure four. We'll find out. See whether he can 
break it or not? You say it can break All it. All I know is in pain. He's rolling from side to side. Let's see if he can. Can he lock it in get away with it? Can he get him out of it? Looks like Paul is trying to turn him. That's right. Paul Arndorf doing something that already... But Paul has never given up. He's not given up. We have only he's turning. He's turning. Oh, looks like Ted DBS is in a lot of pain. Paul Arndorf is bridged up. DBS is sound like he want to give up. Look at Paul Arndorf. Look at the pain that DBS is in. on the far side really letting Ted DBS have it. Both men now. I cannot believe this boy, Pierce. If I didn't see it with my own eyes, I would not believe it. Ted DBS is crying in pain. Look at DBS in pain. I love this Ted DBS in pain, but he won't give up. Why don't the man give up? Why don't they give up? A lot of courage. Listen to the people. DBS is about to pass out. DBS is about to pass out. He won't give up. Why don't the man give up? Snap his leg. He's going to get his leg snapped. I cannot believe this boy, Pierce. And like you said, Ernie, a good way to receive a broken leg right now. Looks like DBS is trying to reverse it back. Looks like he's trying to reverse it back. DBS looks like... Only one minute. One minute time left. DBS is saying something. DBS is saying something. Listen at him. He's screaming. Arndorf is saying, are you going to give it up? And DBS has said, no, no. Look like he's about to pass out. But I wouldn't have believed this if anybody had Well, he's trying it. to hang on. The time clock is running. Both men respond profusely. A rugged battle. But he won't give it up, Ernie. I cannot believe this. I didn't know DBS had this much 30 seconds in. remaining. I did not know DBS going. had had this much fight in it. Next week, precious Paul Ellering returns saying... He will challenge the Iron Sheik with the Persian club, but right now, what a whale of a battle as our time is running down. I cannot Time is all gone. So until next week, ladies and gentlemen, for Ernie Ladder, guest commentator, I'm Boyd Pierce saying goodbye, everybody. There you see it. I believe no winner. Is time out. is gone on Mid-South Wrestling. No, he's not out. I can't believe this. I cannot believe Well, Mike, first question I have to ask. Why didn't Ted DiBiase just grab the ropes? <laughs> he was really close. He was right next to the rope, <laughs> and it was almost like he was trying to cover his eyes so he couldn't see that it was yeah. right there. They built up the idea of the reversal of the figure four. Of course, it would be the reversal that we all know, which somehow made sense to all of us, where if someone has you in the figure four and you roll them over so that now you're both you know, knees down, it reverses the effects of it. So this was the debut of that counter. In Mid-South yeah. Wrestling. Yeah, I, I can't answer the question on why he didn't grab the ropes, but you're right. Uh, that that reversal to us back then was like, wow, he reversed it. Oh, my God. It reverses all the pressure. Now the pressure's on the guy who delivered it. What's going to happen? And right there, I love – well, <laughs> poor poor Boyd Pierce. He's, he's counting it down, and, and Ernie Ladd is just – Oh, he's got it. He gave up. DBS is out. Oh, no, he's not out. He's back up. He's back up. DBS is still going. And uh, just keep that in mind as we lead into, as we cap this off this week, because next week we start off with with this being addressed. Yeah, him not, because he doesn't, if you notice there, they never gave the, he never gave the sign as they were showing it on video, nor did Boyd or Ernie Ladd mention that DBS gave up. We just hear the bell ring, right? 
That is correct. And in fact, again, heel Ernie Ladd is calling it pretty straight. He's saying, I think DiBiase's out. Oh, no, he's not. He's not. He's calling it like he's a commentator who just happens to be a heel. And it's right. refreshing. It's really refreshing hearing that. It is. It is. I, I like, you know, th- this wasn't one of those typical when we get closer to the mid 80s where Jim Ross is screaming, oh, my God, it's hitting the fan. It's chaos here. It wasn't one of those. Uh, but this was this. This was really good. You know, you, you go off air. I, I don't like the fact that you don't have resolution, but I mean, that's 80s wrestling for you uh, to me a lot of times. But still, you're going off there. It's hot. You're like, wow, I got to tune in next week. I got to see what's going on. What's what's going to be the fallout from this? Because here it is. My North American heavyweight champion. He's in this. He got reversed in his finisher. What's going to happen? Where are we going now? So I like that. Yes, much more of a cliffhanger than last week's matchup between Jerry Novak and the Monk versus Frank Monty and Brian Blair. This certainly yeah. was more of a cliffhanger here. You know, one other thing we should note, obviously we lose a little bit of the flavor of the show because we don't have the local promos, and it's noticeable how in these shows it literally is separated so that the local promos are a commercial. But other than that, you're not hearing anything in commentary about events happening, things taking place, about upcoming shows. I mean, you hear about the idea that there's the Dream Match, which is actually a television promotion. You hear about the Samoans coming back, but you don't hear, oh, and this will be in Baton Rouge, or this will be in Louisiana somewhere. You know, you don't hear any of that. So it's really almost like a vacuum right now, where it's just focused on what's actually happening on the show. No local promos, and the reason I brought this up was the Iron Sheik's managed by General Skandar Akbar, but he's really been absolutely no focus on the TV so far. Yeah, at this point, no, and you're right. No, lo- Without the local promos, you do lose the flavor of Mid-South. Uh, the, the local promos were such a big thing back then. The only thing that they, and they don't, this, these aren't local promos, but when we get closer to the, you know, first Superdome extravaganza, you're going to, they're going to, they're going to talk about that. But that's again, not really a local deal. That's the whole region with, you got the big show down in the Superdome. You'll get that and you'll get some promos there for that. And, or, and, or they're going to talk about that a lot more on commentary, but you're right. You don't have the local promos where they're talking about being at the, you know, the building that wasn't far from where I grew up, which was the the municipal auditorium. They, I, I, God, I remember those local promos. Like, geez, some of those were so great. You know, talking to the dog or even Cornette talking about going down to the municipal. You, you're not getting that, and you're you're kind of missing that on on these shows, unfortunately. You brought up the Superdome, the previous closest Superdome extravaganza was November 26, 1981, the Thanksgiving Superdome show. And the next one that you're talking about April? will be March 3rd, 1982. March. Okay. That's what I thought. I'm trying to remember. I knew you did. Uh, I don't remember 82 and 81 how often. I know there was two to three a year, it felt like. It felt like there was one spring, summer, and then around the wintertime. Uh, at least that's what it felt like to me. But yeah. Uh, those uh, the Superdome extravagandas were really, really good. I never got to go to any of them, unfortunately. Um, just uh, one of those things when you're, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a wealthy kid, uh, and my mom was like, well, "We ain't got no money for that." I'm like, okay, damn. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I wanted to go, couldn't do it. A few other notes about what's happening in the territory on December seventh, nineteen eighty one. The Junkyard Dog defeated the Great Kabuki in New Orleans to win the Mid South Louisiana title. Municipal Auditorium. Uh, obviously, if obviously. it's in New Orleans, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What am uh, I asking for? 
And then on December 15th, 1981, so shortly after this show aired, there was a show in Baton Rouge where North American champ Ted DiBiase defeated Bob Roop via countout. The Louisiana champion, the Junkyard Dog, defeated Paul Orndorff. Here's an interesting match. The Iron Sheik defeated Leroy Brown. Now, Leroy Brown's not on these TV shows, so maybe he was just in for a few dates there. And then after that match, we have Ernie Ladd and Bob Orton Jr. defeating Mike George and Jake Roberts. Again, Jake Roberts not on these television shows, but obviously working some dates in the Louisiana Territory. Ed Wiskowski defeated Frank Monty, and in the opener, Brian Blair beat Jerry Novak. The next night in Jackson, Mississippi, the North American champ Ted DiBiase defeated Paul Orndorff via disqualification. The Junkyard Dog defeated Bob Orton Jr. The Iron Sheik defeated Jake Roberts. Bob Roop defeated Leroy Brown. Ed Wiskowski defeated Ricky Ferrara, and Brian Blair in the opener defeated Jerry Novak. So uh, some good cards. I mean, interesting that, you know, from one day to the other in two different states, they mixed up the card. It's not like the WWE where it's the same show in every town from one day to the next day in a different state, which means you're getting a different TV and different local promos. They did a completely different card. That's a lot of work. I mean, if you think about it, that's, you know, because you're doing more work with the local promos and everything to, I guess, draw the fans into the building there. I mean, you you can't just like, you know, have one standard. Well, we're going to we're going to shoot a similar promo for, you know, this market, this market and this market. You're you're switching things up. So more work, I guess, on Watts is in and the the bookers in. But, you know, still uh, good, entertaining things there where you I mean, it's good to mix it up, though. You got you got different things going there. Absolutely. And again, we don't know what the card was the month before. So there's always a different story to be told. But with that said, I think we have to point out one other thing. In the closing audio we heard from Boyd Pierce, he makes mention that next week, precious Paul Ellering is going to return. I think (laughs) the listeners are going to love this audio because it's so bad and so good at the same time because Paul Ellering is doing this rap. That's incredible. Not he's not rapping. I'm just saying it's what he's saying. It's his words. It's so ridiculous and so out of place from everything we have seen or heard so far in Mid-South Wrestling. And the only thing that can make it any better than it is, is the fact that he's saying all this to Reeser Bowden, who is just bemused by this bleach blonde muscle guy trying to rhyme everything. It's it's classic audio. I think everyone's going to love it next week. I can't wait to get to it. And I will say this. Obviously, if you've got the network, you can you can go ahead and see what we're talking about. And I'm just going to put this out there. You know, Reese Bowden has the personality of a, of a wall sometimes. But uh, Reese Bowden was mildly entertained. And I guess that's the teaser I'll give there if, you, if, you, if you're not going ahead. You know, we haven't really discussed it on the air, but before we close things up, we should say it. You know, it it does raise an interesting issue, the fact that you said the date that's on the network. You know, this show on the network is, I believe, December 10th. And yeah. we said it was December 12th because December 12th, 1981 is a Saturday. Mid-South Wrestling typically didn't air on Thursdays in the Mid-South area. But I wonder, should we do the date that it is on the network so people can find it? Or I guess we should maybe just notate both so that they find the right episode and watch along. Yeah, I think you make a good point. I think we should point out the date that's on the network because it's probably easier. That's what they have access to more readily available. You know, if you've got the network, you can follow along. So I think we should probably quote the the date on the network since that's what most people have. Um, At the same time, I think, you know, we've talked about this on either the last show or we've had this conversation before, too. Just because 
it's saying on the network that it aired on a certain date. Also understand that that date is not – it didn't air in every market on that date. There were times when it may have been a week or two ahead or behind, depending on the market you were in. Very strange dealings with how the tape, I guess, got around. You know, I don't know all about that, but I do have heard so many discussions about it in the past to know that. But yeah, you keep in mind that uh, I, th- I think I do think that the date on the network should probably be the date we give. That way, you know, folks can can follow along more easily. All right. Well, as we wrap things up again next week on the show, we have a big show featuring that precious Paul Ellering ridiculous audio. But Mike, before we wrap things up, how can the listeners hear more from you on booking the territory? Let us know the best way to keep in touch with Mike Mills. Well, thanks to you. I know how to use tinyurl.com now. So uh, it's tinyurl.com slash BTT pod. If you want to uh, check out the show and it's, uh, you know, we do two shows a week. One is more focused on the NWA and the other one is uh, completely dedicated to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You can search Booking the Territory no matter where you get your podcast from on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher. Use Podcast Attic and not Stitcher, though. Tune in radio. We're, we're basically everywhere, as Brian Last says, that you uh, get for free or steal audio. Just search Booking the Territory and you will find it and subscribe. Please check us out. And then you can follow along with us on Facebook.com slash Booking the Territory. Give us a like there. We're on Twitter at BTT underscore podcast. I'm at Mike504Saints. Again, two shows a week. We uh, try to do classic wrestling some justice, especially with our Smoky Mountain show and the NWA show. I mean, we really put a lot into it. We uh, it's It's a three-man booth. We have a lot of fun. We joke. We play. We make it interesting. We, we want you to come along and have a good time as we – you know, we celebrate the things that we loved about wrestling and what made us wrestling fans growing up. Of course, you can hear me each and every week on the 605 Super Podcast, available at 605pod.com, iTunes Podcast Addict, and everywhere else. Your one-stop shop for classic wrestling talk, wrestling humor, interviews, comedy bits, so much in a packed show each and every time, the 605 Super Podcast. Of course, you could join the Facebook page for the show by going to facebook.com slash superpodcast and get all sorts of show updates, show images, and so much more, facebook.com slash superpodcast. You could follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. This show, of course, is produced by the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Until next week, for Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho! Mm-hmm.